Welcome to Maison Pur, the podcast. I'm your host, Molly Hill. This podcast is all about natural living and how to get there without stressing out. We'll discuss easy tips to help create a healthier home, natural ways to care for our bodies, and so much more. a guest that many in the natural beauty community know and love, Dr. Sarah Villafranco. She's the founder of Osmere Organics, and if you follow her on social media, then you know that she's just a bright, wonderful human. How are you, Sarah? I'm great. Thanks, Molly. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited for our episode. Thank you so much for coming on here. Absolutely. So we have some fun things planned for this episode, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> Sarah's going to tackle some of my most asked questions that I get uh, on pertaining to natural beauty. And also, we're going to kind of talk about some of the misconceptions within natural beauty. First, as I shared in the intro, you're a doctor. In fact, you're formerly an ER doctor. Yep. And now you've also created a beautiful natural uh, skincare line, Osmia Organics, and you're located in beautiful Colorado. So I was going to see if you could share a little bit about your story and your journey of how you got there. Yeah, definitely. It was sort of a, a twisty road, but I grew up in Washington, D.C. and went to um, college and medical school there and ended up in the emergency room just because I would go do these sort of specialty rotations and I'd think, oh, well, peds is fun, but I don't want to do only peds or OB is fun, but I don't want to do only that. So the ER was sort of a nice blend of everything. Um, and I also thought, okay, you know, it's sort of nice too for, um, for people who want to maybe have a family one day, it's technically shift work, right? So you really only are working 12 or uh, when I first moved out to Aspen, 24 hours at a time. Um, sure. And you, then you go home, right? And then you kind of don't, you're not doing follow-up phone calls or, you know, worrying about too much until you walk in to your next shift. So that's sort of how I landed in the ER. Um, and it was a super, super fun job. I mean, the things I saw and um, yeah. <laughs> experienced were really, I mean, I felt sometimes like there was a camera and I was actually like on an episode of ER, which you're probably too young to remember, but early <laughs> no, I remember it. days. <laughs> um, and I just, you know, I'm like, God, is a bus going to come through the wall like in the next 10 seconds? Because that's how mad and crazy the ER, especially in Washington, D.C. when I was practicing there, it was like, oh, my goodness. Oh, I um, can only imagine. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, a few things made me shift my thinking. You know, the first was um, having a kid. So I had my, my daughter Lola when we lived in D.C. and I was still working in the ER there. And um you know, it just was, I saw so much violent crime against women, especially that I just was like, God, I'm not a hundred percent sure I want to raise my kids here. And then, you know, this opportunity to move out to Colorado came and my husband was willing to take this leap of, you know, faith with me. And we bought a piece of land and slowly, you know, saved money to build a road and then dig a well and then build a house over the course of four or five years. Wow. So when you bought land, you like bought something like kind of far out there. 
Yeah, we bought a piece of land that's like almost 30 acres, 10 miles outside of a town that's 7,000 people. And wow. this is after 32 years in Washington, D.C. So it was, a, it was a pretty big change. My husband was a lawyer and it was like, you know, he just went to his firm and was like, I'm going to do this from Colorado now. And they were like, what? Because telecommuting <laughs> wasn't even a thing. <laughs> and, and he's like, or I can call, you know, my clients and let them know that, you know, I'm heading out to Colorado. And the firm was like, no, no, let's try it. Let's see how it goes. They've been amazing. So that's awesome. He's been practicing out here the whole time. So yeah, it worked out really well. And I and I was able to get a job in the ER out here. So that was sort of stage one was just getting out of the city. And then um and then stage two kind of was one of those perfect storm things where, sadly, having lived uh, a mile or less from my mother for my entire adult life, um, you know, about four months after I moved out here, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And that felt a little bit like a cruel joke by the universe, um, because now I was far away with a sick mom. Yeah. But um, But looking back, you know, I moved across the country and landed um, within view of my brother's house. We lived across the river from each other. So he was raising his two kids, you know, just across the river from us. And I think, you know, our brains are capable of making sense of things in hindsight. And to me, I think she was able, when she finally died, to kind of like say, okay, they those two have each other. Yeah. You know, so there's a little peace in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so she died. And, uh, at that time I had a three, three month old when she died. Um, and so that created like this perfect storm, right. Where, um, I have hormones and I'm breastfeeding. I had hacked off all my hair in a grief haircut, grave error by me. Um, and my mom's gone. So I think, um, it, what it did is it just sort of put things in um, very rapid perspective for me. I was like, okay, this is all going to be over really fast. And I don't mean to be grim when I say that. It's just, it's such a blink of an eye, you know? And then I thought, what what am I doing with my time here? And does it feel like the most authentic, most unique way that I can contribute to this lifetime. And ultimately I kind of felt like, no, you know, and the the ER, while it was fun and exciting and adventurous at the end of the day, I thought I didn't change that person's health habits. And it is in our daily habits that our health gets made or broken. And all I was doing was putting out fires. And I thought, I don't want to do this. I don't want to put out fires. I want to light fires in people to take care of themselves, to honor their bodies, to take time for mental health, to find joy in this very, very brief flicker of a life that we're given. And so that was sort of my mindset when I took a class making soap. I took it at like a local ranch and immediately fell in love. I mean, it was, it was the funnest. I mean, you've watched our soap making videos on Instagram, yes, right? Yes. Yeah. It's like, it's just mesmerizingly fun. And it's this super cool blend of science. And I can't deny that I am just a dork and I love science <laughs> um, and artistry, which, you know, for 
10 years in the ER, there's, okay, my bedside manner was the only form of artistry. And I think right. it was a strength for me, but it's not like I could be like, I'm going to give you 17 milligrams of Lasix today, because that just feels right. You know, it's not, <laughs> there. there's no artistry, really. And so I didn't know that I was artistic. And so that's been a really cool um, discovery for me, because I can't draw, I can't play an instrument, I can't, like, in my mind, I'm not an artist, but like, you know, you look at our soap and it's like, okay, maybe there is some art there. There's definitely art there. Your soap <laughs> is beautiful. I mean, and I, I know there's so much that goes into formulating the scents and things like that. And yeah. there's a expression within that, but even just, like you said, it's mesmerizing your videos where you, I don't know if you're listening, you'll have to go and watch because the soap, when it's drying, or I guess you would say curing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As, as you pour it, that's so cool. And then when you see it, when it's just all together, you know, as it's mm-hmm. curing, it's just, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's a really, I don't know. It's just, it is a, it's a, it's like almost like ASMR or something, you know, watching these soap yeah. making videos, like you just <laughs> kind of get transfixed by the process. And, and it's been just a cool, uh, that was the beginning. And then once I did soap, I was like, okay, I want to do all of it. So then we, I built the skincare line and I did it from a friend's uh, house, like a storage room in her house. We called it the meth lab. And um, I just <laughs> stayed in there with giant goggles on for like two years and was nursing babies and working shifts in the ER. And finally, you know, I kind of came home to my husband and I was like, I think, um, I think I want to do this. And he looked at me and, and with, took a quick glance at my face and was like, you're serious, aren't you? And I'm like, I kind of am. And and he was on board. He was like, all right, let's make a plan. And so, and, and, you know, like, it's really easy to be one of these people who's like, oh my God, follow your dreams. Right. But yeah. like, you have to put dinner on the table and, <laughs> and you've got kids and education and like diapers or like, it's just not that simple. You really do have to have a plan. You have to, I mean, in my case, my husband has been able to support, you know, our family at, at times when I needed to give my own salary back to the business. Um, and that's just part of being a, an entrepreneur and a small business owner is being willing and able to to do that for a bit. So um, anyway, so that's how Osmia started. That was in 2012. Um, wow. You know, yeah. So it's we're coming up on eight years this April, which is really exciting. And yeah, congratulations. It started, yeah, it's so fun. I mean, it's so fun. It's it's you know, it's funny, though. People are always like, oh, you must be so relieved to be out of the ER. It must be so much less stress. And I'm like, well. Um, You're like, I am running a business. <laughs> actually, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no turning it off. There's no shift work here. There's no ever that there's just a constant hum in my brain about this company. And, you know, I've got 23, you know, soon to be more employees now. And it's it's a big team and it's a really cool company and it's a great job opportunity in a small town. Um, but these are people that depend on me ultimately, right. For their health insurance and their time off and their you know, work life balance and all these things that I hope to give to, to these people who make Osmia happen, you know? So no, it's not a less stressful situation. It's probably just a different kind it's of a different. It's just not a life or death stress, you know? Right. But it's, it's more of a chronic stress, which is why I meditate every day. So. Wow. 
<laughs> well, you know, when I was thinking of all the stuff I wanted to talk to you about, like one of the things that just kept popping into my head, I, I really hate the term, insp- you're so inspiring because I feel like that's just very overused. Everything's mm-hmm. inspiring now. Um, but it's I will true. say, <laughs> people say that about everything. So I, it it's feels true. cliche to say it, but it's honestly the only word I can think of like when I am following you. Your well, where you live is absolutely gorgeous, but it's really pretty have, here. Yeah. Oh yeah, you just mm-hmm. have such a um, inspiring <laughs> uh, personality because I I feel like you'll you show different aspects of your life. Uh, the border collies, of course, that's a huge hit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it just seems like you just love where you live and you're soaking it all up. You take every opportunity to be outside, experiencing it. Um, you do talk a little bit about exercise, meditating, things like that. And not in such a way where when I usually see posts about exercising, I'm like, oh, I need to go to the gym more. It's more of like mm-hmm. a Hey, I I have this body. I love it. I'm able. I have the opportunity to to move it. Why don't I get yep. out and move it? And so I just love your outlook and the way you present things. Well, you know that's really like we call ourselves a health style brand because, you know, I'm not. You've met me, Molly. Like I'm not part of the beauty industry. I mean, it's fun and there's some there's some cool stuff, but you know, I'm I'm I don't want to look like I'm 20. And I'm not really interested in continuing that conversation. I'm bored by that conversation. Yeah. Uh, There's just so much more interesting stuff to be doing in our time on this planet than talking about how to look younger. Um, And so I think really what the brand is trying to do is touch on all those little pieces like meditation, like exercise, like time spent outdoors, like raising kids, like having dogs, like cooking beautiful food. All of these make up those daily health habits that I know will create health over time. Yeah. They will build this foundation for you to feel good, you know? And that's really, and I think that there's just so much negativity out there and it's hard to like repel it, you know? So I, I try to focus on getting people to stop fighting and start inviting, you know? And it's especially true in, the beauty industry where it's just this constant barrage of words like toxic and, you know, I don't even know, like everything related to that, right? Like all these things that are bad for you and that you shouldn't be doing and you have to avoid this and and, and detox yourself and all this stuff. And you all of a sudden you're like living in this state of fear and anxiety, which is more toxic than any of the toxins you're trying to avoid. Yeah. So what I try to do is just share the ways in which you can invite health and joy into your life because they're there. They're like right in front of you. And you don't have to live at the base of a 13,000 foot mountain to do it. <laughs> it doesn't hurt though. <laughs> yeah, it does not hurt. <laughs> I think everybody should visit Colorado, but it's it's all there for the taking. And, and really, you know, the, at the core of all of this is is that the one thing that I, and I'm not a Western medicine basher because we need it um, with coronavirus doing what it's doing right now. Believe me, I am really glad Western medicine is here and scientists are working to help contain things. But um, one thing Western medicine doesn't do well is um, help people find their own power. Really like we got into a bad stretch there where doctors got like these big egos with the white coats and 
they're sort of like, you need me to feel good. You need me and my prescription pad. And I want to untrain people from that thinking because most things can be made better without a prescription pad. And that's not to say there's no role for antidepressants or anxiolytics or antibiotics. I mean, there's a role for everything, but it's overblown in Western medicine. And so really my goal with, with Osmia is to remind people of their own power. Yeah. I, I agree so much with all of that. I, and I'm not a doctor of course, but just from my perspective, uh, Oh, I know, and I'm not bashing home births here. I know a lot of people in the natural community uh, do that. But for instance, my, I'm so thankful for Western medicine. I used a midwife for both my deliveries, but I did it at a hospital. And I had a really scary delivery with Annabelle and had to have a very emergency C-section. And had I just been at home with my midwife, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think about that because the next day my midwife came in kind of in tears and was just like, I, you had uh-huh. a successful birth before. I would have totally cleared you to be at home. And right. it was just a scary reminder, you know, that anything can happen at any time. But uh, it, I am so thankful for for doctors and that we do have things like antibiotics. While I don't like using that all the time when we need it, it's there. It's there. I had a similar experience with, I live, like I said, in a pretty remote area. And my doctor, I used a midwife as well for the daughter that I had out here in Colorado. And my doctor looked at me and he said, look, home deliveries are for pizzas. Like in this area, <laughs> that's what, and we don't even get pizza delivery at our house. We're that far out. Cause I would have been about 25 minutes from a hospital. And, um, I had a really horrible postpartum hemorrhage with my second daughter and came close to, you know, transitioning to a different life. So right. I, I'm, I'm thrilled that it happened in a hospital and they were able to call the OB in and she was able to, to save things. So uh, I get it. And and again, I think there is, it's kind of like politics where if you're either Trump or Bernie, you're not going to make progress, right? Like there's no progress being made on the extremes. So I think like it, it's the same with medicine. If you're like anti-Western medicine or pro-Western medicine, you're not seeing the truth. And the truth everywhere in life lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah. There's a balance there's a balance. Um, well, I wanted to ask you about your motto, return to your senses. Yeah. Where, I love that. Where did that come from? <laughs> you know, it sort of covered all of the bases for me. I mean, when I first started working with soaps, I couldn't believe all of the scents and colors that came from the earth. I just was so like blown away. And so it was such a sensory and sensuous experience to smell and feel and touch all of these things that I was working with. So that's kind of where the idea came from. And then the second layer of it was um, the more research I did about the ingredients that we're using on our skin every day and the impact that it's having on human and evolutionary and planetary health, I really wanted to like get people to snap out of it and just stop using the stuff that they're in the habit of using because it's there. And like, look at the label, like, let's, let's think like, and, and, you know, and again, not like in a fear mongery way, but like, okay, yeah, you know, if you look at our packaging, you see this thing called a talk screen, which is sort of a, you know, a twist on a medical term. But basically, it's like, here's what you're not going to find in our products. And 
the reason I chose those seven categories is because I think the science there is strong. Um, and so, so that's like another version of return to your senses. And then, um, you're going to be sorry you asked this question because it's, <laughs> it's a long answer. Um, the third one is like, let's stop giving so much energy to how we look. Like, it's not to say I don't want to help everybody feel they're most beautiful and most comfortable in their own skin. That's absolutely a goal. But the stuff we're obsessing about and the way we talk to ourselves in the mirror is absurd. It's, it is mean and it is inconsequential. Like, whether you have silver hair or crow's feet doesn't matter in the end. It's not going to affect how people remember you. Only the way you act in your life is going to affect how you are remembered. And so I just feel like it's such a drain on our precious energy resources to spend so much time obsessing about how we look when it really, really isn't important. So that's like the... <laughs> the the spread of return to your senses it's kind of like a it's both a hey snap out of it and it's also a drop into it drop into the taste of your coffee drop into the feeling of your child's grimy little hand in yours because you're gonna miss it in a few years yeah so I love that I love just you know, <laughs> I don't know just being more present you know yeah yep exactly well, do you want to get to some of the uh, some of the fun questions I have lined Let's up for do you? It. All yeah. right. So I gathered up some of the the most common questions I get that are just kind of general questions, and a lot of them there's an underlying like almost a fear about it, and that's why they're asking the question. So with you uh, being a doctor and also the founder of a skincare brand, uh, you're the perfect person to cover some of these. Um, so the first one is. Is Botox really dangerous? So, um, you know, I'm going to ask you a question in response to this, which is, is there a sort of perception in the community of your readers slash listeners that it is dangerous? Because I'm, I'm interested to know that. Well, you know, it's funny, this particular question I do get asked from my audience uh, on social media, but I also in person, I have a lot of... Uh, mom friends that know I'm into natural beauty. And I think they're all a little hesitant about Botox, but there's that curiosity because mm -hmm. you see there's a lot of other people getting it. You feel mm -hmm. like you said, we're having these conversations with ourselves in the mirror. People want to look younger. Um, and so I think they're all like, a lot of these people are trying to be more natural with their skincare routine. And then mm -hmm. you hear Botox talks, mm -hmm. you know, toxic. And so, mm -hmm. um, I think there's just kind of a, I don't want to say a, a shame associated with it. I mean, I, I, but I feel like some people are, they want to, stuff like Botox, uh, they want to keep more secretive and, and they also mm -hmm. want answers about it though. Like, is it really mm -hmm. toxic? Is it going to, mm -hmm. is it going to hurt me somehow? Mm -hmm. Okay. So those are all, those are all good questions. The funny thing about Botox is it's natural. <laughs> so it stands for botulinum toxin, and it is a toxin produced by a bacterium called Clostridium botulinum. And There's so Botox is the reason, I know, right? Latin. Um, <laughs> so Botox is the reason, not Botox, botulinum toxin is the reason you don't give raw honey to a kid under the age of two. 
Um, it's the reason that you don't eat canned food that has a, you know, a popped top where it looks like it's swollen. Mm -hmm. Um, because it can cause something called botulism, which is essentially like a paralysis. And it's very dangerous in children because it can cause a respiratory paralysis, uh, and they can't breathe. Um, so Botox is dangerous stuff. Um, but (laughs) the way it's used in cosmetics is overall safe. Um, could you have an adverse reaction? Definitely. Could you have like an unintended uh, effect? Yes. And there have been like very rare cases of sort of botulism type symptoms like drooling or difficulty swallowing, right? But that, that's like so minimal. It's almost not worth For the amount of Botox that's being done, it's almost not worth mentioning. Yeah. Here's, here's what I consider to be the, the tricky part about Botox. So Botox has been around since like the 1980s. So that's 40 years. That's a really pretty long time for a medication to be in use. And it's got a pretty good track record as far as safety goes. Um, but <laughs> what happens to a muscle when you don't use it? It atrophies. It atrophies. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that Botox came along and we all started putting it on our faces and all of a sudden we need fillers. Yeah. Right. Cause our muscles, our facial muscles have atrophied. And so I think if you start using it in your twenties and thirties to prevent aging, I think you're going to be chasing it with fillers 10 years later. That is interesting. I do know some people that started using it in their late twenties, which I thought was kind of nuts, but, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, and I don't know, I haven't followed up about fillers, but I do know a lot of the people that I personally know that have used Botox now use fillers as well. Mm -hmm. Yep. And it's just, it's just a pattern that I've seen time and time again. And, and then, you know, unfortunately what happens is, and we've all seen it, like, the filler thing, it's like, if you look at yourself in the mirror every day for, you know, five years, you're not going to see the difference that's happening to your face from the time you started using fillers, but they just go too far. Right. And then these, these people just have faces that don't really look functional anymore, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's the danger of, of fillers. I mean, I think both Botox and fillers can be used artfully by a skilled dermatologist who is looking to help you age gracefully, but still look like you and have your face and be able to laugh and crinkle a little around the eyes and, you know, show a a face that is consistent with how much time you've been on earth. I mean, there's nothing wrong with aging. Every single one of us is doing it. And we're walking around scared of it. What if I told you that oxygen was toxic? (laughs) Like, you know, start holding your breath. Like it's, you can't not age. And it's, it's a little bizarre when you're 64 and your face is super frozen and your hair is pitch black. And it's like, what's, what's wrong with this picture? Yeah. You know, so... And I don't think it's a anyway. secret if you're 64 and you look like that. Right. Like clearly, everybody is like they you're know not, you've had not really so tricking anyone. Yeah, right. I mean, and and I, you know, I want everyone to to feel their best. And if you feel your best with super injected stuff, and you know, like I, I, do you, you know? But I think unless we talk about it, unless we make it okay for us all to get older beautifully, 
and to appreciate like the changes that happen as we spend more time here, then it's not going to change. And like, I, I just, I do think there's something really horribly wrong with, with the way it's all come about and the position it puts women in as far as aging. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's a big conversation. So, okay. So the answer to your question is Botox ultimately is not dangerous, but if you're going to use it, first of all, I would not start in my twenties or thirties even. I would probably wait until I'm getting closer to 40. And second of all, I would say like I, use it sparingly, like, especially, so let's say you've got really deep, like those 11 wrinkles between your eyebrows, or like, I actually have one on the side of my lip. That's like this weird, super vertical wrinkle. And my mom had it too. And it's really deep. Um, and it, it's like, those are the types of wrinkles that they're called static wrinkles versus dynamic wrinkles. So dynamic wrinkles are the ones where, like I was talking about, when you're cracking up laughing, you get the wrinkles around your eyes. Static wrinkles are the ones that you can see on my face when I'm at rest. Um, so I would say, like, I would probably focus a little more on some of the deeper wrinkles to kind of get those muscles trained away from um, that pattern. But using it as in glo- as a global age prevention like tactic, I'm not sure that I think it's like the best way to go. Yeah, yeah. And I know, you know, and just even talking about how dangerous it is, or people perceiving it to be, I should say, uh, I, I do know that it's used successfully for people with migraines, and I don't know exactly where they're injecting oh, yeah. it. I mean, it's used, absolutely. It's used in a lot of stuff that is... Um, it's used in migraines. It's used in um, like different, like lazy eye or eye twitching. It's actually used in overactive bladder, which um, oh, wow. is really a game changing condition for people who suffer with it. I mean, it's like you can't go anywhere that's not within moments of a bathroom. Um, it's also used in something called hyperhidrosis, which is um, excessive sweating. So my cousin actually had this condition where his palms were so sweaty, he couldn't even like pick up a wine bottle or he couldn't go hold hands with anyone. He actually had his chest cut open and they did like, they cut the nerves in his chest. Um, And so it's like, that's a really difficult and rare, thank goodness condition. But yeah, it's used medically a lot. And honestly in the medical uses, um, you know, the the risk of a uh, sort of like a dose related complication is probably a little higher than it is with, with um, cosmetic uses. Because they're using a a much smaller dose. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And they're kind of scattering it, you know, like it's, it's more of like micro doses around the face. Okay. I haven't, um, I've never gotten it done, but I know I've watched some terrible TV shows that I shouldn't admit to that, you know, it shows all Uh (laughs) shows them getting Uh it. Um, <laughs> you know, one other thing to mention about it, as far as like not, not danger, but side effects is that it will thin your skin. Um, and a lot of people use it in combination with retinol, which we're going to talk about, I think as well. Yeah. And retinol also thins your skin. So both of those together can give like a sort of an, uh, you know, an increased thin skin effect over time. I've read that there's a, uh, what was the term? It was, 
it was an article by a dermatologist and they just said there's some sort of, they can tell when somebody walks in that's been using both of those for like 20 years because the, mm-hmm. the skin just looks paper thin and they can recognize yeah. it almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can even get like a weird, like wavy texture to your skin. Um, yeah. So it's, there's definitely some stuff that can happen with chronic use. I think if you're going in once a year for a little Botox touch up, it's probably not a big deal. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that's good to know. I think, you know, for a lot of us, we do want to be more natural. I'm sure a lot of people on the podcast, that's not necessarily a route they want to go down, but I also want to open the conversation up just to take some of the um, fear and and shame off of some of this stuff too, you know? For sure. I mean, I I think I'm probably not going to do Botox, but I don't know. I mean, I'm 46 now. If when I'm 53, might I be like, hey, and I'm going to give this a try. I, I can't say that I won't ever try it. I don't, I don't see any reason for there to be shame involved <laughs> in the picture at all. I mean, again, we have better things to do with our time than shame people for their choices. So, right. but I, but I do think like, I, I, I think when anytime you're engaging in a cosmetic procedure, whether it's, you know, Botox or whether it's getting your hair colored or um, having something lifted, um, just ask yourself why you're doing it. Yeah. You know, like really dig deep on it for a minute. Take some time. Like, why am I doing this? Am I doing it because I feel like I need to do it in order to fit a certain idea? Or am I doing it because it, it's really important to me and it's how I am going to feel best about myself? And if the answer is the latter, then then you do it. But if the answer is like, for me, like with the hair dyeing thing, I was like, what? why did I even start this? I don't know why I even started this. Like I just got sucked into it. And that happens all the time at the dermatologist. They're like, Hey, you want, you want me to just take a little stab at those wrinkles? You know, just, I'll just do a little <laughs> bit, you know? And you're like, what? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. That sounds pretty good. You know? So you get like swept into it and then all of a sudden you're kind of locked into it. Yeah. And so I think it's just really worth reevaluating for yourself. Like what's my purpose and does this actually matter to me? Yeah. I think that's really, that's a good point. A lot of us just go in and do these things on autopilot or because we think we're expected to without really doing that gut check. Like, is this even really what I want to do? Yeah. And it's, it's a little scary to kind of go, I mean, it's been, you know, not anymore, but when I, when I first stopped coloring my hair, I I felt scared a little and I'm like, you know, the CEO of a skincare brand and I'm going to let my, myself go, you know? But it's now I think of it as letting myself be. And it's like, it's like I took off handcuffs, you know, and now I feel more vibrantly myself than I did when I was coloring my hair. So it's, it's funny, because it can feel scary at the beginning to go against the grain, but most of the time, it ends up being pretty empowering. Yeah. Um, Well, kind of in the same vein as Botox, one thing I actually probably get asked about this even more is retinol. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I have some people that just automatically think that any type of actual retinol would be dangerous. So they're looking for um, plant-based or plant-derived alternatives, which that in Mm -hmm. itself can be a little controversial, Um, Mm -hmm. just as far as some people will attribute things to being close to a true retinol when it's not typically. But um, 
as far as there is some actual uh, natural, more naturally formulated gentle retinols in the in the green and natural beauty space that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of people want to know, like, basically, what what is it going to do for my skin? What are the dangers? Um, can you shed a little bit of light on that? Yeah. So, I mean, retinol or retinoids, I say, I, I would use like the broad category of retinoids, which are essentially, you know, forms of vitamin A or precursors um, and or, or derivatives. So it's like, you know, before, during and after vitamin A, that's like the whole spectrum of things that people call retinoids. Um, but there's like really good data that, you know, like randomized controlled double blind studies that show that, you know, if your, your skin has better cell turnover, which results in, you know, fewer breakouts. So retinol is used very commonly in acne management now. Um, better skin tone, glowing complexion. It increases the production of collagen and decreases the breakdown of collagen. So you have, you know, hopefully firmer skin and fewer wrinkles. And then um, an increase in what are called GAGs, glycosaminoglycans. Um, in the skin and that that basically helps your skin hold hydration and do its job so so it's like a stronger version of your skin um and that all sounds pretty awesome right yeah 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 like i'm signing up for all that yeah Um, i'm like yeah count me in (laughs) (laughs) so so i think um that there are a few you know issues that i think the jury is still out on whether um small topical quantities of retinoids are actually um, carcinogenic. Like basically there are probably rat studies that show that if you like dip a rat in retinol for, you know, a month straight, like there's some form of cancer is going to show up, but that's not really like, that doesn't really translate into the way we use it. And I mean, if you think about your face and let's, you know, let's say you're using it on your face, it's, that's like four and a half percent of the surface area of your skin. Yeah. So it's really, it's not a lot. Um, so, you know, the toxicity piece is, it's kind of not totally clear. Certainly you can find studies that would convince you that retinol is toxic, but again, like, it's just a question of kind of looking more closely at what the mechanism was and what the methods were and whether they actually relate to how you'd be using it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's thing one. Thing two, um, especially with something like Retin-A, which is like the you know original daddy of, of retinol, um, Retin-A was harsh. And the side effects, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen somebody who used Retin-A, but it's brutal. It's like, it's like three days into a terrible sunburn. It's yeah. like flaky and red and so tight and itchy and miserable. Now that is more true with the older prescriptions. Um, There are some much gentler ones now. And so, um, you know, so that's not probably as much of an issue. And I think, you know, dermatologists are often great at helping you move into using them carefully so that your skin doesn't rebel. Sure. Um, You know, another thing that people don't really think about is like in these prescription creams, what's in there besides the retinoic acid? Yeah. Parabens, ethoxylated ingredients, like fragrance, color, petrochem, like you name it. So there is some probable toxicity in a lot of the conventional retinoic acid products that you're not really thinking of 
uh, other than, you know, if there's toxicity associated with the, with the retinol itself. Yeah, totally. Um, and then the last, you know, sort of like downside is just the sun sensitivity. Like you're just really at risk, um, when your skin is thinned like that. And so when you commit to using retinoids, you're committed to wearing sunscreen and a hat <laughs> pretty much like every day of your life. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, I just couldn't do that. Like I, I just, I don't have time for that. I want to be able to like run on the beach and I, I use sunscreen and I'm, I'm sensible and cautious about it, but I don't want to like go into Madonna mode where I'm like, shirking away from the sun and wearing a shroud all the time right <laughs> so <laughs> this hide around with a hat on i mean top. madonna looks great don't get me wrong but you know i'm just life is is too short yeah yeah um plus you're you're outside so much i'm outside a lot yeah yeah um so well, so what are the other options like in terms of you know plant based stuff right a lot of natural oils contain huge amounts of vitamin A, which is essentially retinol, right? Um, Rosehip seed, sea buckthorn, argan oil, broccoli seed oil, and a ton of our products have those in it. Now, you're not going to see the same results over the same amount of time, but, you know, I've been using Osmia products for, you know, eight years now. Um, and like it, it's sort of, that's my commitment is to use super high quality vitamin A rich ingredients on my skin. Um, there's another ingredient called bakuchiol that's having a bit of a moment. Have you heard of that? Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. So bakuchiol is just, it's a made from the babchi plant and it's a, you know, it's a, some, and, there, and there's some studies showing again that it's similarly effective, um, but over a little bit more time and with a little bit of like a twice a day pattern instead of a once a day, like you would do with retinol. Okay. Um, so I think the options for um, retinol-esque products are expanding by the moment. Um, and I, so I think you just stay up on it. And to me, the most important thing is, is looking for those um, non-active ingredients. What else is in this product? And then also um, buying something from a brand you trust, right? Like, and that's not just with retinoids, but it's with everything is like, is this person just spewing marketing information at you or have they done their homework? Have yeah. they really like sat down and looked at whether this claim that their ingredient supplier gave them is valid? Yeah. So. Well, that's a good point. And I've always, my response about the prescription one has always been that I'm sure there is a plethora of other ingredients in there that are not, uh, going to necessarily benefit or uplift their skin in any way. And in fact, could have some opposite things happening. Um, So another question that I get a lot um, pertains to natural deodorant. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And as you and I know, it's uh, it's different than when people conventionally just go to the store and buy an antiperspirant. I cannot talk antiperspirant. Mm -hmm. Uh Um, It has the deodorant effect because it's scented and, and helps that way, but it's not, it actually stops you from sweating. So some people Mm -hmm. are a little shocked when they switch over and they're kind of expecting the same um, effects. And then they're Mm -hmm. using natural deodorant and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm sweating. I don't want to sweat. Why can't I, you know, what's wrong? Why can't I go back? And for me, like, I think sweating is healthy for you, but I want to hear from a doctor. Like, what are your Mm -hmm. thoughts on that? 
I mean, I think sweating is like peeing or pooping. You know, like it's, yeah, it sucks, but it's like, it's part of the function of our body. It's like how we're designed. This is how this machine is designed. Sorry. People ask me sometimes, like, what do you, what would your superpower be? And I'm like, never having to go to the bathroom, number one or number two, again, I want to be a 100% efficient organism. That's my superpower. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's not going to happen. Right. So, so I, I think that stopping sweat. So the reason an antiperspirant works um, your sweat itself doesn't stink, right? Sweat isn't a stinky substance. It's the bacteria on your skin, especially those that are sort of focused in your armpits that make that sweat, um, become stinky. And so that's why an antiperspirant works as an antiperspirant and a deodorant. Most of them are aluminum based and they cause your sebaceous glands, like the sweat emitting glands to swell and so nothing is getting out. And so if there's no sweat there for the bacteria to act on, you're not going to stink. Yeah. So, I mean, my, my take on it is that, like just, you know, it, it's just a transition. And like if you have to go give a TED Talk and you don't want stains under your armpits, use Dove deodorant for the day. Who cares? It's a one-day deal. Yeah. But don't make it a daily habit, you know? And I think if you can train your body and you know you can do the whole like armpit detox thing and like and there's some really pretty good options out now like there was a there was a time when natural deodorant was rough um (laughs) but there's some good stuff out there now and each one's gonna have like one thing that's not ideal like it leaves a white mark or you know a lot of people are baking soda sensitive and that's tricky because a lot of them have baking soda but there are plenty of of baking soda free options some of them are like in a little tub right so you got to like dip into it people have a problem touching their armpits i think that's a bigger issue (laughs) like you should explore that within yourself right um but but i think um you know generally speaking daily use of an antiperspirant probably isn't healthy um and and if you have an important event a swipe of a conventional antiperspirant is not going to kill you I like that take. Um, and I, I, you know, it's hard cause we could go down a whole rabbit hole with like how your skin functions and, and how sweat, you know, is actually getting stuff out of your body. Uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think for those that are worried about it, if you have once in a while where you need to use a real antiperspirant, then like you said, it's, you know, I, I try to live with the 80, 20 rule. I probably honestly am more 90, 10, you know, most of what yeah. we're doing uh-huh. health- yeah, you you have to live your life. And you have to show yourself a little bit of grace sometimes with certain things. You know, you have to watch your kids eat soft serve. I mean, it's it's like a rule. You know, right. like you you have to do that. It's part of life. It's the pictures you'll remember forever. It's it's the spontaneity. It's the joy, and that's what all this fear mongering is killing. Right? We all walk around just totally handcuffed by our fears and and forgetting to enjoy like wine when you're sitting in this a vineyard in Italy. I mean, like, my God, you'd be crazy not to, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and which brings us to our next topic. (laughs) (laughs) Will my eye cream kill me? Um, Mm -hmm. and I say that kind of tongue in cheek because I, I think sometimes when people start becoming more ingredient aware, uh, and you start to realize how surrounded you are with uh, products that are containing things that are sometimes linked to really scary things, um, mm-hmm. you know. But the, then I see people honing in on a 
one specific thing that like, I really love, let's just use the eye cream as an example. I really love my eye cream. Like, and I've gotten messages from people like, is it going to be dangerous for me to keep using this? Mm -hmm. And I kind of want to just take a minute to uh, examine the way that's even said. Like, if you think about an eye cream, the percentage of your face you're using it on, and then also just the terminology dangerous, you know? So I, I kind of mm-hmm. wanted to just get your take on all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's really, um, it's an area where we're in trouble. And the beauty industry is, is I think, behaving pretty badly. Um, I think that we take advantage of people's desire to be well. And when I say we, like I don't do it and I, and I, my brand doesn't do it, but I'm still talking about the community, the, of, of wellness and beauty. Um, and some people are doing it from a good place. They really want you to be healthy and they're really passionate about whatever their thing is, right there, whether it's adaptogenic mushrooms or like, whatever they're like really into, um, you know, they can kind of promote it in a way that's very, um, tied to fear of toxins. And so I get some people are doing it from a good place and some people aren't, some people are doing it from a straight up. I want you to spend money on my product and not those other products. And so I will use every method available to me to make you too scared to use anything else. Yeah. Um, and that's just ugly. That's, yeah, it's really. dishonest and it's, um, it's not fair. And I take this, I take my position in the wellness industry really seriously because I am a doctor, right? And my rule, you know, is, is first do no harm. And the most harmful thing I can do to you is to put you in a state of fear or anxiety. It's like, I mean, the anxiety epidemic is like, it's so much worse than coronavirus. It's not even funny. Yeah. Um, And it, a lot of it comes from this fear of illness, fear of death, fear of everything. Um, And so, so yeah, I think, I think the language that we use, um, you know, really I'm, I'm hoping that we can use our brand and my background as a doctor to, to research things and put out blog posts and put out information that is, um, it's moderate, you know, it's like, okay, some things is, you know, petroleum jelly going to kill you? Definitely not. It's not, you know, I don't use it in our products because I don't really love using petrochemicals and because I think it has too much of a barrier function, but there are certain skin situations like eyelid dermatitis, for example, speaking of eye cream, eyelid <laughs> dermatitis, three days of a thin layer of petroleum jelly is like the miracle drug. And it is so fine for you to use that. Yeah. You know, and so all there's all this like sort of unfounded um, fear mongering. And sometimes I think it's because the people who are making the products are f- afraid themselves because they haven't done their homework quite enough to know, like, actually, the data's not really in on that one, you know, but for yeah. other stuff like parabens, the data's in, you know, the data is in, it is changing the length of our menstrual cycles. Like, not okay. This is why little girls are getting their periods when they're nine years old. Yeah. There's no biological reason for a nine year old to have a period. It's not necessary for humanity. And if anything, it's like, it's really kind of hurting us in a lot of other ways too. Yeah. So, so I think it's really a question of 
And then I said, so I think the follow up question to this is like, like, first of all, no, your eye cream is probably not going to kill you. Um, you know, again, like small surface area, um, you know, there's your, your body is, I mean, remember your body is designed to process toxins. Like we encounter toxins all day, every day and our liver and our kidneys and our lungs and our gut work together as this unbelievably complex machine to get rid of things that can harm us. I mean, we filter, that's what urine is, right? It's the excess of vitamins that our body can't process. If we didn't have that, we would all be dead or on dialysis. Yeah. Right? It's happening. All, we're detoxing all day, every day. So, you know, so no, I think that like, just remember, have faith in your body to do what it's designed to do. Um, but then the, to me, the next question for your listeners and my, like, my followers, the people who kind of know our brand, the question I get all the time is, well, who do you trust? Like, mm. Especially if you hop on Instagram, right? There are all these people who sound like experts because yeah. they're passionate. Um, some of them are really educated. And it's like, well, this person's saying one thing and this person's saying something totally opposite. And how do I, how do I know? And that I don't have, I don't have an answer for it. Unfortunately, I think I, I just don't. I think anyone who is claiming to have a cure or the answer for anything, whether it's skincare or religion, you better take a step back. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, I think as far as who to trust, I encountered that when I was first switching over. It's been some years now, um, probably, well... I was leaning more natural for a long time, but probably six years that I've, no, I would say seven years I've taken it very seriously as far as like skincare and everything. Um, but for me, just getting to know brands, following along uh, with them and kind of getting, like, for instance, your brand, you get to see so much of you in your life. And um, you know that you're truly living out like what you're preaching. And I feel like yeah. that speaks volumes. Um, and then, not to be like, hey, go find a blogger, but <laughs> right. I think, yep. yeah, I, and I, even with that, there's some good bloggers and some bad bloggers. There's bloggers that don't do their research and will promote things that aren't necessarily healthy. So my best advice with that there's would be almost- a lot of those, a yeah. lot of those. I mean, you are part of my like core trusted blogger crew who, <laughs> who do their homework and who tell it like it is and who don't make sort of wild swings in any direction. You know, you can't, you, you've returned to your senses. You have your wits about you as you do the best you can to live a really informed and healthy life. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I do. I try my best. I'm sure I've messed up at times. My motto is always an informed consumer is the best consumer. So my goal, especially through the blog and the information I share is to try to empower people to be able to go to the store and pick a product and feel confident in the decision they're making. And I never want to tell somebody how to think, um, and I never want to scare somebody, but sometimes I'm sharing information that if I guess could be perceived as being scary, but I think you have to really mm -hmm. arm yourself with the information and get the full picture so that you know what you want. You know what I mean? What are you spending your money on? Do you want this product that has this in it? Or 
is there a more natural version that would work better? And as far as the eye cream well, goes, and you what's know, what's an acceptable risk for you, right? Like, I mean, there may be some people who listen to this podcast and they go, "Damn, I think I'm going to give Botox a shot." Like, I'm going <laughs> to, and that's and that's fine. Like, if that's an acceptable risk for you, then great, you've made an informed decision. So, informed yes. decision doesn't always mean deciding on the 100% natural and organic option. There are people who, you know, say, "Look, I'm going to color my hair till I'm dead." period, end of story. Okay. Well, you know, I know it's toxic for me. I know that I absorb these chemicals. I know that it promotes an image of women that is, you know, maybe not beneficial in the end. I know all that. I'm going to do it anyway, right? That's, it is your prerogative and you have made an informed decision. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, I think, I think that's really, but that's the, I think that's just the basics though of, of where, people as consumers need to to be like like you said even if they choose to do this something that's necessarily not really in their best interest but uh they just decide for them that's what's what they want to mm-hmm. do i think having the information at hand is key because so mm-hmm. many people i know are just going out blindly buying things just assuming somebody's watching over it or it's got to be yeah. safe because so and so recommended it and they're not really doing their homework to follow up and see if that's true well, that's a, that's a great point, and it's you know, I mean, I mean, the greenwashing situation is is rough, right? I mean, there's um, there are so many brands out there that uh, use their packaging and or their messaging to convey um, the concept that buying from us is safe, and so people then stop looking at labels because they're like, oh, this is brand X, they're natural. And that that's happens a lot. People yeah. are always really surprised when like, you know, I deal a lot with sensitive and difficult skin um, in our customers and they're, they're really having a hard time. And I'll say, you know, what laundry detergent are you using? And they're like, no, it's, it's, it's good. And I'm like, but what is it? And they'll say, <laughs> well, it's, it's tied. It's free and clear. Yeah. And you're I'm like, like mm. back it up, sister. Not, yeah. that's not, you can't assume that just because somebody makes a marketing claim that, you know, that you don't have to look at the label, you do still have to do your homework. Yeah, totally. Um, all right. So we kind of touched on this, but hair dye. And I, I know I've been following along on your journey, which I want to mm-hmm. say it's been two or three years now, but when you stopped yep. coloring your hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also been a lot of recent news uh, about hair dye uh, coming out that probably not a surprise to a lot of people that it's <laughs> kind of toxic. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, and so I, first of all, I kind of wanted to back up and just, you shared a little bit about it, but what was, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about your process of how you were just like, Hey, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to go gray. Like, what was that like? Well, like I said, it was scary. It was just uh, like a couple months before my 44th birthday. And I, looked in the mirror and I saw that my roots were showing, which at the time I was like, it was like, I wasn't wearing pants. You know, I was like, <gasps> Oh my God, <laughs> you know? And, and so I call, I, I looked at the calendar and I, I was like, was like, wait, I just had my hair colored three weeks ago. And it was like, you know, $260. This yeah. is, and then, and then I just kind of like sat down on, I remember sitting, there's like this steps out behind Osmia and I just sat down and I was like, what am I doing? I, I hate, I hate going 
I hate sitting there with that stuff on my head. I hate spending two hours in a salon every three weeks and paying that much money. And then, then I was, then I was like, why do I do this? And then I was startled at the fact that I had never asked myself that question. And that's what happened is I was at a, you know, a stylist and, you know, I can't even remember who it was, but he or she looked at me and said, do you want me to cover these grays? It was like this, <laughs> you know, shh. Um, and I was like, oh God, yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I didn't even stop to think like, actually, no, I think salt and pepper hair would be really cool. Yeah. It was just this assumed like shame. I just took the shame as if he'd handed it to me and I stuffed it in my purse. And I was like, I'm going to carry this now. I'm going to carry this shame around with me every day so that if gray roots start to show, I come running back. Yeah. And then I was pissed. You know, when I kind of like saw that picture, I was mad. I was like, being ashamed of my gray hair is like being ashamed of my skin color. And both of those are unacceptable for anyone. Right. Right. So, yeah. So then I, then I kind of like obsessed about it for a little bit. You know, I talked to my husband, he was like, look, I'm all for it. He said, but you know, Diane Keaton looks phenomenal with gray hair, but I guarantee she's got a stylist helping her work the system a little, you know? And so I found a stylist in, um, on, in Northern Virginia, kind of near where I grew up. And I went and saw her and she did a bunch of like probably super toxic stuff to my hair to get it to like a salt and like faux salt and pepper state, but basically just a bunch of highlights in there. And yeah. then, um, and then I've just let it grow out. So it's probably, I, what I didn't do is hack off my hair because I had, I had done that years before and it didn't go well for me. I just, <laughs> my hair's too unruly to be short. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I still have maybe two inches of colored hair. Um, but the rest of it is all just, you know, it's funny. Cause like after all this, um, obsessing about it, I'm still probably only 20 or 20 or 30% gray. Um, so, you know, if you looked at me from across the room, you, I would be a brunette. It's not until you get up close to me that you see my little gray wings and, you know, my little, you know, the top of my head's pretty gray too. Yeah. I, I think it's with dark hair. Uh, well, I have some grays I do. Well, for years I've gotten highlights like where they don't, it's not like a whole head. It's where they kind of paint it mm -hmm. on. It doesn't, I mean, yeah. it's. You know, I'm making an informed decision, a choice right, here. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm one of those people that I do, uh, I can't decide what I want my hair to look like. So like, I'll go through a season mm -hmm. where I want it to be like more highlighted. And then I go through a season where I want it to be more dark. So it's more of a uh, expression of my style. Right. Um, uh-huh. But then, you know, grays have snuck in and they're kind of in a weird spot at the top of my head. And so I mm -hmm. am still highlighting and stuff. So it's kind of covered, but I think yeah. for somebody with dark hair, when they first started popping up, like I felt very startled mm -hmm. by it because <laughs> mm -hmm. I felt like they stood out and everybody could see it. But like you said, I think for the most part, people don't probably notice that unless they're just like right up on you. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Lisa, you know, just posted the story yesterday and she was like, I can't go anywhere without people talking to me about my hair because she's pretty gray. She's probably 80% gray. Yeah. Um, and she looks amazing. Right. And I think that's, I, I definitely have people like when I wear my hair up, the gray is really visible because I, it's in like my temple area. 
Mm-hmm. And people constantly come up and say like, God, I love your hair. And I, I think a lot of people are looking for permission. And yeah. I'm like writing permission slips. That's like, that's like, <laughs> that to be part of my job. Like, girl, do it. Because what it's the most reversible decision in the world. Yes, absolutely. But like, try it. And it, 90% of people find that it is incredibly liberating and empowering and that they feel more beautiful with silver hair than they ever did with with black hair. So I think it's it's always worth a try. And if you wake up and hate it, you can just color it. Just call. Just call and say I need an appointment. Yeah. That's it. It's so simple. Thanks, Dr. Sarah. Stay tuned for part two, where we'll take a closer look at perioral dermatitis, which is a common skin issue. Uh, Some of you may even have it and not realize it, but Sarah has become quite an expert on it. So she's going to give us the lowdown in the next part. (laughs) 